Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith our ancestors received approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain's. Through this, he received approval as righteous, God himself giving approval to his gifts. He died, but through his faith, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken so that he did not experience death, and he was not found because God had taken him. For it was attested before he was taken away that he had pleased God, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would approach God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, warned by God about events as yet unseen, respected the warning, and built an ark to save his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir to the righteousness that is in accordance with faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he set out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, with Sarah's involvement, he received power of procreation, even though he was too old, because he considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one person, and this one as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as the stars of heaven and as as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. All of these died in faith without having received the promises, but from a distance they saw and greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth, for people who speak in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. 
If they had been thinking of the land that they had left behind, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better homeland, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land. But when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies in peace. And what more should I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Yet all these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better, so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight in the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. God. Thank you, Carmen. Um, what a story she just told. Uh, it's, a, it's a scripture that honestly is long, but kind of has to be read that way. Um, I'm going to come into the center here. And... It has quite a rhythm, right? By faith, and then a story. I'm going to tell you um, a couple stories from my life. Uh, so when I was first coming into the Methodist church, after I left the church for a while, I was Pentecostal, uh, and then I, um, I grew weary of that for a variety of reasons um, that I'll say for another day. But I eventually made my way into the Methodist church, and I'm starting to encounter all of these things like communion every week and um, a, a robust liturgy and, and, and a call to discipleship as a young adult. Um, and one of those things that I knew God was calling me into was starting to give something to the church. Um, but I was a waitress at a restaurant and um, had trouble imagining how I would give something out of the small amount that I had. I, I could barely pay my cell phone bill. And, and so I remember sitting in a pew one morning and I made a commitment before God. And I said, God, the next shift I have, this is logic of a 20 year old, but the next shift I have where I make over $100 in one shift, I'm gonna give it all to you. Okay, 
so I uh, thought I might live that out. And so I, uh, I go to do this next shift. I do a couple of shifts, and they, you never know what you're going to get. Some days nobody comes, and you make 30 bucks, and you get sent home. But um, I was coming to the end of a shift um, that week, and I had one table all day, one table. Uh, and so I made like $7, and I'm thinking, there is no way I can ever be faithful to God. No way at all on this earth that I'll, I'll ever be able to live that out. Um, live out that commitment that I made to God. And, and then um, a woman walks in and hands me a check for $100. And I asked her, how, how did you know? She's like, know what? I was like, well, at least tell me your name. And she said, my name is Michelle. <laughs> Take that story. Um, a few years later, I was at a at the airport, and I am growing in this commitment to God, um, who God has called me to be, and I'm, um, I'm flying, I don't even know where I was flying, but I sat down at the, the bar, so I must have been over 21 at that point in time. I sat down at the bar, and, um, and there are little racks in front of each spot for them to put the tab, the check, so that you can go off um, on your way. Um, and sitting, same card by card by card by card, and, and, um, and I'm, I'm still having this conversation with God about my money, and in front of me, there's card by card by card of all these cards to tell you how to pay, but sitting in mine was not a card. It was a money clip. And so I picked it up, I thought somebody must have left it, and engraved on this money clip were the initials MLM. Thought, what are you trying to tell me, God? Those are my initials. Finally, a third scene. Um, I, I visited a friend at their Episcopal church one morning while I was on vacation. Um, this was later down the road, still trying to be faithful to God and who God is calling me to be and how God is, is helping me grow in holiness. And, and this priest there was a friend of mine. And I hear the priest moving along the rail, because they have everybody come and take their place along the rail to receive communion. Um, and I, I knelt there waiting my turn, and I could, I could hear it. Um, the body of Christ, the bread of heaven. The body of Christ, the bread of heaven. The body of Christ, the bread of heaven. As, as, their, as their priest is going person by person by person. And then the priest got to me, who was a friend of mine, and, and he said, the body of Christ, Michelle, the bread of heaven. And what happened at that communion rail, though, um, it seems um, similar, maybe, to those other supernatural, maybe, moments in my life. Um, what happened there felt wholly different. There was nothing extraordinary about the priest knowing my name. <laughs> like, he knew my name. I knew he knew my name. I was his friend. Um, there was nothing extraordinary about him, him using those words in a service either because I, I, it was a practice of his when he knew a person's name to include it in, 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 in this phrase, the body of Christ, the bread of heaven. But its effect on me was so extraordinary, and it caught me off guard, and it moved me it moved me deeply, maybe because I, um, I was at this point a new pastor in the United Methodist Church and 
had rarely had someone speak it back to me. And all that's extraordinary about these three events, these three moments, is maybe all the, that's extraordinary about them is the fuss I'm making about them right now, maybe. Things like these like happen every single day to every one of us, right? And so if we tried to make sense of each one of them, um, we would be left trying to find God in every single little encounter. And these, they're a dime a dozen. They, maybe they mean absolutely nothing. Or, or things like this, maybe they are momentary glimpses into a mystery of such depth and power and beauty that if we, if we were to actually see it head on, we would be blinded. If, if I had to bet my life on one of those two possibilities, one or the other, which one would I bet my life on? If you had to bet your life on one of those, which one would you bet your life on? That these moments mean absolutely nothing or that these moments give us a glimpse into the mystery of God. Maybe this one, we can say, what happens, happens. And it means whatever you choose it to mean, right? And that's all it is. Or, there is a God in the highest, worthy of my worship. There is mystery and meaning in the deepest parts of life, in the most extraordinary and the most ordinary parts of life. So I wonder which, which it will be for you. Um, we can never be sure, right? Of course, um, the, the evidence <laughs> both ways is fragmentary and fragile and ambiguous, and so we can never be sure which it is. Maybe it's a product of wishful thinking, or maybe it's a message from another world, <laughs> Or whether we bet yes or no, it is, I believe, in that kind of moment, it's an act of faith. We're going to get to the question. But I would say that religious faith, as the writer of Hebrews puts it, religious faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. As the story unfolded, and Carly told us about it, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, and the rest of them, it, they all go on to say, all died in faith, not having received what was promised, but having seen it and greeted it from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people like that make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. <laughs> Faith then is so different from so many things that we make it. Faith is completely different than all kinds of other areas of religious life and cannot be confused with them, even though we sometimes like use this word to mean religious belief in general, as in, in, in you know, phrases like the Christian faith or the faith of Islam. Um, no faith. Faith is, 
is, is different from theology. It's not theology because theology is reasoned and, and systematic and orderly, whereas faith is often disorderly and you can't make sense of it and intermittent and full of surprises, right? Faith is different, I promise, than spirituality or mysticism. Because the mystics in our midst, those who call themselves spiritual but not religious, in, in their ecstasy become one with what faith can at most see. Only when you're right up on it, but not from afar. Faith is different from ethics because ethics is primarily concerned, not like faith, with it's concerned with our relationship with others, not with our relationship with God, right? And so then what is faith? I would say that faith is closest to worship. If I were to define faith, I would say faith is closest to worship. Worship is the closest thing we have as a definition of what faith is. Because like worship, it is essentially a response to God and involves the emotions and, and the physical senses as well as the mind. Uh, through our confirmation class, we, um, we, our last class, we actually broke down every single little thing that we do or need to make worship happen here on a Sunday. I stapled them together to make them easier to hold. <laughs> um, every single thing. Offering envelopes, how ordinary. Online bulletin, do you even look at it? I don't know. Uh, that's a good question, I have no clue. Um, a vehicle with a hitch. <laughs> how unbelievably ordinary speakers and music equipment, singers, those, they're extraordinary. Bible, a bass, pins, right? What else do we have? Visitor cards, a cross, a pastor, I guess. <laughs> a tripod and camera, projector and screen, all these really ordinary things. And then the teams of ordinary people that make it happen, a video team, a worship leader, <laughs> hospitality, those who arrive early without being asked to make sure that tables are set up as they should for a potluck, right? Um, there is something about faith that cannot be anything other, or the closest way to describe it is worship, what we do here. And so why in the world do we do what we do here? Why all these little ordinary elements all coming together to make this expression of worship before God? If you don't have any clue why we worship, um, why do you do it? I would really like to know that. Um, why do you do that? Um, why do we do it? Because unlike anything else, worship, worship, it forms us and molds us to be the people God has called us to be. John Wesley actually um, had a way to talk about this. Um, this was one of the things we were going to do in our last class of confirmation, but we never, um, 
we never actually got to this, but John Wesley has a way to talk about this. John Wesley is the founder of the Methodist um, faith, and, um, and he has this house of grace in Christian formation. Um, uh, Wesley, if you've never heard, has um, talks about grace in three ways. Um, says that grace, there's provenient grace, and you don't have to put it on the screen yet, but there's provenient grace, there's justifying grace, there's sanctifying grace. Um, and you don't know what that means yet, but um, starting with that kind of provenient grace, the, the, the first one, um, Wesley would say that imagine, um, imagine your faith as a house, um, as God's house before you, and God is inviting you into God's house. Provenient grace is all the moments where um, you have been loved before you were able to, to ever give that love back to God. Um, it's why we do infant baptisms, right? Um, it's every moment we have a baby at this altar here um, and a parent's holding them and the only expression of love that they know is their parents' love and they can't articulate it with their lips, but we know that this grace is alive in them doing that work before they even know. Um, they even know that love or be able to express that love, but there's grace there, right? Um, it's like kind of um, finding your way onto the porch of God's house. Uh, and then um, there are moments in life where we get that um, shocking revelation that God has more for us than the way we're living. Um, I, I don't know, maybe some of you grew up in the church and you don't remember the moment that you don't have a big like, you know, um, uh, this was my conversion moment, right? Maybe you grew up in the church and you don't remember that, but I would say confirmation um, is a moment of that or even deciding to do confirmation, perhaps co deciding to do it is mainly the moment of justifying grace. We would say it's the aligning your life with God. It's the, if you have a big conversion story, it's the turning um, 180 and walking the other direction from the life you were leading before and choosing God. It's that moment, obviously, um, that's why we baptize babies, it's expecting them to come to a point of confirmation, right? Where they can actually choose God. Um, and that's like the living room of the house. It's like coming into the main room um, not getting too comfortable, but like, you know, you're, you're a guest. You're a guest in God's house, Wesley would say. You are, you're a part of this thing called grace. You've made a decision, but, um, but, but God hasn't started forming you yet into the person you're supposed to be. And then um, Wesley talks about God's house. There are the bedrooms. Um, there's a whole different level of intimacy, right, when you've been invited to stay in someone's bedroom. Not everybody gets to stay in someone's bedroom at their house. There's something about, you know, who, stays, who sleeps in your guest bedroom often. It's those people visiting who are closest to you, right? Um, and God says, come into the bedroom. Um, this is this part of the faith journey where we actually begin growing in holiness. We begin to look more and more like the God who is forming us and molding us to be who's God, who God has called us to be. Um, and the way that happens, there is no way. You can have those other two, right? Without the church. People do it all the time. You can have both of those um, without the church. God loves all, right? God loves every one of us. Um, and so therefore there is provenient grace for all the world, right? That love that goes out before we ever return it. And you can have justifying grace. People do it all the time. People who go to the special services, go to the special camps, go to the services, get their high. Since God 
go back up to the altar call, right? Give their life back to God again and then go and live their life however they choose to live their life, not formed in the likeness of Jesus, but just they realize that God's way is probably better than their way. Um, but they've only taken one step, right? Wesley would say that you can't know what faith really is if faith is worship. You can't know what it is unless you've been in tune with God's church, unless you've been a part of God's church, and all the acts of the church, like communion and baptism, um, like praying, like showing up together, gathering, gathering every Sunday, proclaiming a particular word together, responding to that word with, with prayer and with giving our gifts and with communion, and then going out into the world again and being a part of that, that kind of grand circle over and over again, coming back to the table. You can't, you can't grow in holiness without the church. You can't grow in holiness without coming back to this place of worship. And so there's this last scripture um, I want to show you at the end of this verse. Um, this story, we, you know, we've been, that verse was long, but it was the story of all these various people who by faith, or maybe replace that with, um, by their worship of God, and by them growing in the sanctifying grace of God, growing in holiness over time. They were able to watch this unfold. Even when God's promises were not fulfilled in their midst, they could still trust God, right? And then this last verse at the beginning of Hebrews 12. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, you all, this is all you all, right? When you're surrounded in a church community with, with this great cloud of witnesses, let us all lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely, those weights that tell you a different story, that you can grow in likeness of God apart from worship. And let us run that, that race of perseverance that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, of our worship. Um, one of the things we had were symbols during our confirmation class, and one of them, the last one, was the only one I stumped Caroline on. Um, she knew every single one. She was like, I know what this is about, so let me tell you, this symbol means that you're going to talk about this, and be like, oh, you're going to have to be quiet, and let me talk about it anyways. Um, but the one that I stumped her on was the Plato. Um, and um, if, if there was a symbol of why do we worship, um, this is it right here, um, that... We worship so that God may form us into who God's called us to be as the church as a whole, but also as individual people, right? And there's this, my lovely hymn, my, one of my favorite hymns ever, um, and I'll end with this. Um, there's a song that if you want to ask God sanctifying grace to be in your life, um, that's a great song to sing. Um, I sing it often when I'm asking God to form me and to who God has called me to be, um, you may recognize it. Spirit of the living God says it right in it, um, what worship is for. <clears throat> Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Melt me, mold me, fill